Section three of Heart of the West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Neufeld. Heart of the West by O. Henry. Telemachus, friend. Returning from a hunting trip, I waited at the little town of Los Pinos in New Mexico for the southbound train, which was one hour late. I sat on the porch of the summit house and discussed the functions of life with Telemachus Hicks, the hotel proprietor. Perceiving that personalities were not out of order, I asked him what species of beast had long ago twisted and mutilated his left ear. Being a hunter, I was concerned in the evils that may befall one in the pursuit of game. That ear, says Hicks, is the relic of true friendship. An accident, I persisted. No friendship is an accident, said Telemachus, and I was silent. The only perfect case of true friendship I ever knew, went on my host, was a cordial intent between a Connecticut man and a monkey. The monkey climbed palms in Barranquilla and threw down coconuts to the man. The man saw them in two and made dippers, which he sold for two reales each and bought rum. The monkey drank the milk of the nuts. Through each being satisfied with his own share of the graft, they live like brothers. But in the case of human beings, friendship is a transitory art, subject to discontinuance without further notice i had a friend once of the entitlement of paisley fish that i imagined was sealed to me for an endless space of time side by side for seven years we had mined ranched sold patent churns herded sheep took photographs and other things built wire fences and picked prunes thinks i neither homicide nor flattery nor riches nor sophistry nor drink can make trouble between me and paisley fish we was friends an amount you could hardly guess at we was friends in business and we let our amicable qualities lap over and season our hours of recreation and folly we certainly had days of damon and nights of pythias one summer me and paisley gallops down into these san andreas mountains for the purpose of a month's surcease and levity dressed in the natural store habiliments of man we hit this town of los pinos which certainly was a roof garden spot of the world and flowing with condensed milk and honey it had a street or two and air and hens and a eating-house and that was enough for us we strike the town after supper-time and we concludes to sample whatever efficacy there is in this eating-house down by the railroad tracks by the time we had set down and pried up our plates with a knife from the red oilcloth along intrudes widow jessop with the hot biscuit and the fried liver now there was a woman that would have tempted an anchovy to forget his vows she was not so small as she was large and a kind of welcome air seemed to mitigate her vicinity the pink of her face was the in hoc signo of a culinary temper and a warm disposition and her smile would have brought out the dogwood blossoms in december 
widow jessop talks to us a lot of garrulousness about the climate and history and tennyson and prunes and the scarcity of mutton and finally wants to know where we came from spring valley says i big spring valley chips in paisley out of a lot of potatoes and knuckle-bone of ham in his mouth that was the first sign i noticed that the old fidus diogenes business between me and paisley fish was ended forever he knew how i hated a talkative person and yet he stampedes into the conversation with his amendments and addendums of syntax on the map it was big spring valley but i had heard paisley himself call it spring valley a thousand times without saying any more we went out after supper and set on the railroad track we had been partners too long not to know what was going on in each other's mind i reckon you understand says paisley that i've made up my mind to accrue that widow woman as part and parcel in and to my hereditaments forever both domestic sociable legal and otherwise until death do us part why yes says i i read it between the lines though you only spoke one and i suppose you are aware says i that i have a movement on foot that leads up to the widow's changing her name to hicks and leaves you writing to the society column to inquire whether the best man wears a japonica or seamless socks at the wedding there'll be some hiatuses in your program says baisley chewing up a piece of railroad tie i'd give in to you says he in most any respect if it was secular affairs but this is not so the smiles of woman goes on paisley is the whirlpool of squills and chalabites into which vortex the good ship friendship is often drawn and dismembered i'd assault a bear that was annoying you says paisley or i'd endorse your note or rub the place between your shoulder blades with apodel dock the same as ever but there my sense of etiquette ceases in this fracas with mrs jessop we play it alone i've notified you fair and then i collaborates with myself and offers the following resolutions and bylaws friendship between man and man says i is an ancient historical virtue enacted in the days when men had to protect each other against lizards with eighty-foot tails and flying turtles and they've kept up the habit to this day and stand by each other till the bell-boy comes up and tells em the animals are not really there i've often heard i says about ladies stepping in and breaking up a friendship between men why should that be i'll tell you paisley the first sight and hot biscuit of mrs jessop appears to have inserted a oscillation into each of our bosoms let the best men of us have her i'll play you a square game and won't do any underhanded work i'll do all my courting of her in your presence so you will have an equal opportunity with that arrangement i don't see why our steamboat of friendship should fall overboard in the medicinal whirlpools you speak of whichever of us wins out good old hoss says paisley shaking my hand and i'll do the same says he 
we'll court the lady synonymously and without any of the prudery and bloodshed usual to such occasions and we'll be friends still win or lose at one side of mrs jessop's eaton house was a bench under some trees where she used to sit in the breeze after the southbound had been fed and gone and there me and paisley used to congregate after supper and make partial payments on our respects to the lady of our choice and we were so honourable and circuitous in our calls that if one of us got there first we waited for the other before beginning any gallivantery the first evening that mrs jessop knew about our arrangement i got to the bench before paisley did supper was just over and mrs jessop was out there with a fresh pink dress on and almost cool enough to handle i sat down by her and made a few specifications about the moral surface of nature as set forth by the landscape and the contiguous perspective that evening was surely a case in point the moon was attending to business in the section of sky where it belonged and the trees was making shadows on the ground according to science and nature and there was a kind of conspicuous hullabaloo going on in the bushes between the bull bats and the orioles and the jack-rabbits and other feathered insects of the forest and the wind out of the mountains was singing like a jews harp in the pile of old tomato cans by the railroad track i felt a kind of sensation in my left side something like dough rising in a crock by the fire mrs jessop had moved up closer oh mr hicks says she when one is alone in the world don't you feel it more aggravated on a beautiful night like this i rose up off the bench at once excuse me ma'am says i but i'll have to wait till paisley comes before i can give audible hearing to leading questions like that and then i explained to her how we was friends cinctured by years of embarrassment and travel and complicity and how we had agreed to take no advantage of each other in any of the more mushy walks of life such as might be fomented by sentiment and proximity mrs jessop appears to think serious about the matter for a minute and then she breaks into a species of laughter that makes the wild wood resound in a few minutes paisley drops around with oil of bergamot on his hair and sits on the other side of mrs jessop and inaugurates a sad tale of adventure in which him and pie-face lumley has a skinning match of dead cows in ninety-five for a silver-mounted saddle in the santa rita valley during the nine months drought now from the start of that courtship i had paisley fish hobbled and tied to a post each one of us had a different system of reaching out for the easy places in the female heart paisley's scheme was to petrify him with wonderful relations of events that he had either come across personally or in large print i think he must have got his idea of subjugation from one of shakespeare's shows i see once called othello there is a colored man in it who acquires a duke's daughter by dispersing to her a mixture of the talk turned out by ryder haggard lou doc stater and dr parkhurst but that style accordin' don't work well off the stage now i give my own recipe for inveigling a woman into that state of affairs when she can be referred to as nay jones 
learn how to pick up her hand and hold it and she's yours it ain't so easy some men grab at it so much like they was going to set a dislocation of a shoulder that you can smell the arnica and hear em tearin off bandages some take it up like a hot horseshoe and hold it off at arm's length like a druggist pourin tincture of asafoetida in a bottle but most of em catch hold of it and drag it right out before the lady's eyes like a boy finding a baseball in the grass without givin her a chance to forget that the hand is growin on the end of her arm them ways are all wrong i'll tell you the right way did you ever see a man sneak out in the back yard and pick up a rock to throw at a tomcat that was sittin on a fence lookin at him he pretends he hasn't got a thing in his hand and that the cat don't see him and that he don't see the cat that's the idea never drag her hand out where she'll have to take notice of it don't let her know that you think she knows you have the least idea she is aware you are holding her hand that is my rule of tactics and as far as paisley's serenade about hostilities and misadventure went he might as well been reading to her a time-table of the sunday trains that stop at ocean grove new jersey one night when i beat paisley to the bench by one pipeful my friendship gets subsidized for a minute and i asks mrs jessop if she didn't think a h was easier to write than a j in a second her head was mashing the oleander flower in my buttonhole and i leaned over and but i didn't if you don't mind says i standing up we'll wait for paisley to come before finishing this i've never done anything dishonorable yet to our friendship and this won't be quite fair mr hicks says mrs jessop looking at me peculiar in the dark if it wasn't for but one thing i'd ask you to hike yourself down the gulch and never disresume your visits to my house and what is that ma'am i asks you are too good a friend not to make a good husband says she in five minutes paisley was on his side of mrs jessop in silver city in the summer of ninety eight he begins i see jim bartholomew chew off a chinaman's ear in the blue light saloon on account of a cross-barred muslin shirt that what was that noise i had resumed matters again with mrs jessop right where we had left off mrs jessop says i has promised to make it hicks and this is another of the same sort paisley winds his feet round a leg of the bench and kind of groans lamb says he we have been friends for seven years would you mind not kissing mrs jessop quite so loud i'd do the same for you all right says i the other kind will do as well this chinaman goes on paisley was the one that shot a man named mullins in the spring of ninety seven and that was paisley interrupted himself again lamb says he if you was a true friend you wouldn't hug mrs jessop quite so hard i felt the bench shake all over just then 
You know you told me you would give me an even chance so long as there was any. Mr. Mann, says Mrs. Jessop, turning around to Paisley, if you was to drop into the celebration of mine and Mr. Hicks's silver wedding twenty-five years from now, do you think you could get it into that Hubbard squash you call your head that you are nix cum rus in this business? I've put up with you a long time because you are Mr. Hicks's friend, but it seems to me it's time for you to wear the willow and trot off down the hill. Mrs. Jessop, says I, without losing my grasp on the situation as fiancé, Mr. Paisley is my friend, and I offered him a square deal and an equal opportunity as long as there was a chance. A chance, says she. Well, he may think he has a chance, but I hope he won't think he's got a cinch after what he's been next to all the evening. Well, a month afterwards, me and Mrs. Jessop was married in the Los Pinos Methodist Church, and the whole town closed up to see the performance. When we lined up in front, and the preacher was beginning to sing out his rituals and observances, I looks around and Mrs. Paisley. I calls time on the preacher. Paisley ain't here, says I. We've got to wait for Paisley. A friend once, a friend always. That's Telemachus Hicks, says I. Mrs. Jessop's eyes snapped some, but the preacher holds up the incantations according to instructions. In a few minutes, Paisley gallops up the aisle, putting on a cuff as he comes. He explains that the only dry goods store in town was closed for the wedding, and he couldn't get the kind of boiled shirt that his taste called for until he broke open the back window of the store and helped himself. Then he ranges up on the other side of the bride, and the wedding goes on. I always imagined that Paisley calculated as a last chance that the preacher might marry him to the widow by mistake. After the proceedings was over, we had tea and jerked antelope and canned apricots, and then the populace hiked itself away. Last of all, Paisley shook me by the hand and told me I'd acted square and on the level with him, and he was proud to call me a friend. The preacher had a small house on the side of the street that he'd fixed up to rent, and he allowed me and Mrs. Hicks to occupy it till the 10.40 train the next morning, when we was going on a bridal tour to El Paso. His wife had decorated it all up with hollyhocks and poison ivy, and it looked real festal and bowery. About ten o'clock that night, I sets down in the front door and pulls off my boots a while in the cool breeze, while Mrs. Hicks was fixin' around in the room. Right soon the light went out inside, and I sat there a while, reverberatin' over old times and scenes. And then I heard Mrs. Hicks call out, "'Ain't you comin' in soon, Lem?' "'Well, well,' says I, kind of rousin' up. "'Dern me if I wasn't waitin' for old Paisley to—' "'But when I got that far,' concluded Telemachus Hicks, "'I thought somebody had shot this left ear of mine off with a forty-five but it turned out to be only a lick from a broom handle in the hands of mrs hicks end of telemachus friend